Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think anybody who has gone through that knows that even if it's, you know, a death where you're in your own bed at home and you're surrounded by loved ones, yeah. it's still still very difficult. It's the nicest way you probably can go home, <laughs> but it's still not nice. Welcome to Grief Encounters with me, Sasha Hamrog. And I'm Venetia Quick. We're a weekly podcast that looks at an issue that affects us all and yet remains so difficult to talk about. We'll be chatting to guests from all walks of life on the subject of death and all that comes with it. Our main aim is to motivate, comfort and create a modern space for people to share their own experiences. Could you think of someone that could benefit in listening? Tell them about Grief Encounters out every single Tuesday. On this week's episode of the podcast, we are joined by writer Orla Ryan, who speaks to us about losing her dad in 2011. Orla has written a lot about grief and has written really powerful pieces for the journal that have reached so many people about losing her dad and then subsequently losing two of her grandparents and a friend in a very short period of time. I really loved this conversation with Orla because although so soft-spoken, speaks so strongly and with such conviction about how important it is, how language is important, how talking to people who have lost someone is important. And we talk a lot about being kind to yourself during that period of bereavement and how essential it is to kind of go easy on yourself and let certain things go. We really connected, I think, and we had a lovely conversation about not only losing her dad, but what it was like to lose so many people in such a short period of time and how she got through it. The relationship between language and loss is something that we've covered in the past on the podcast, and it's also something that has proven to be quite divisive at times. How direct and frank should someone be when the conversation is about an impending death? This week's guest is Orla Ryan from thejournal.ie, who sadly lost her dad to cancer. It wasn't until a nurse told Orla a week in your dad's life is a long time that she started to realize how little time she had left with him. Orla, I certainly was in a similar situation with my dad, um because I had no experience about any of this stuff. And yeah. then suddenly you're in it and someone says something like that to you and your whole world is turned upside down. Maybe just tell me a little bit about how it all started and that moment when you realized that he wasn't going to get better. Yeah, so um, it would have been in the summer of 2011 where dad had some very minor symptoms. He had back pain and heartburn and, and things that could have been put down to anything else really or just, you know, back pain and heartburn. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he it was when he, he started to have trouble swallowing then that he thought there was something because he had been to the doctor and they thought he was fine. Yeah. And then he started to have trouble swallowing. So then that's when his GP was like, OK, that's that's not good. A bit of a so yeah, so that that led to more tests. And he was, by all accounts, like not somebody who you would have thought that this might have happened to. Right. He was a farmer and a, was a farmer, very healthy, very active on mm. his feet all day, every day out in the farm. Um would have a drink every now and then, but very few mm-hmm. um, generally didn't because um, you have to drive to the pub <laughs> where I'm from. <laughs> yeah. So he would usually drive and not have anything. Yeah. Um, didn't smoke. Yeah, it was very healthy. And then when we did find out 
pretty quickly within kind of a few weeks that it was cancer then you know the doctor did say this is this type of cancer he had esophageal cancer and they were saying that this is most associated with people who smoke or are heavy drinkers or and or are overweight and he was none of those things mm-hmm. so it was quite a kick to hear that you just have this terrible cancer anyway despite being quite healthy and that is such an unfair moment, right? It's, yeah. it's, I feel like it's so unfair no matter what the circumstances, whether somebody smokes or drinks. But when it's someone who has no... no... It's, not, it's not that you deserve yeah. it because you do those things. But he was kind of... The doctor was almost like, really? I mean, are you it's... just not saying you don't do these things because <laughs> exactly. your wife and your daughter are here or whatever? And he's like, no, I'm pretty healthy. Don't and know. how did he do... Because it's one thing, I'm sure, like the unfairness for you guys. But how did he deal with that? Because if you do take care of yourself and then suddenly you're faced with this, it's like you almost don't... You don't see it in your future. You don't you don't imagine it's going to happen. I guess it was kind of a quiet resolve. He just accepted. And I think even initially when he was told he was OK, I, I or that it wasn't anything too serious. The test didn't pick up on anything initially. I feel like he knew himself that something was wrong. He knew he wasn't right. Mm. So I think he kind of maybe feared the worst early on or thought that he just knew in his own body he didn't feel right. Mm. So I think then when he found out it was cancer, he was possibly expecting to hear that. Okay. Um, his own mother had had died from cancer as well and I think he maybe drew parallels from that he was very young when that happened but he would kind of reference that and I think that maybe he just knew so he was perhaps more prepared to hear that but not that you're ever you ever take that well but I think he in his own mind maybe thought he had something like that so when he heard it it was just like okay this is what do we do now I mean as a father oftentimes it's like you have to keep strong very much so yeah he was very <laughs> a very strong man like a very yeah grounded strong knew his own mind straight talking kind of guy so yeah a very kind of stereotypical <laughs> irish yeah. farmer and you know yeah very very strong lovely man but yeah just it was it was very difficult then to hear this you know and then to to see to see him become weaker it was very difficult that is such a hard thing to talk about and i I really understand. Yeah. Um, so when anyone loses their sort of ability to do all the things they used to do and they're in that extremely vulnerable place, the conversations change and how you communicate changes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like you used to maybe talk in a certain way and have a rhythm and have yeah. a... And then all of a sudden everything shifts when cancer comes in. Mm. Um, did your relationship change at all now that he was sick? Um. I'm not necessarily sure that it did. I suppose at the time he he got sick, I was um I was living at home, so we were around each other mm-hmm. a lot during that period, which was lovely that it it did work out that way. It wasn't really part of the plan. And then I ended up back home, and it was lovely to have those months. Um, I don't think the conversations necessarily changed that we would have, but I suppose you were maybe conscious of saying the wrong thing, mm-hmm. or you didn't want to upset him or upset my mum or. You know, it was it definitely there's a, a dynamic shift because for the first while anyway, you know, he kind of still looks the same and seems the same. But then when he starts to yeah feel worse and, and not look quite like himself, mm-hmm. then that's when, yeah, it's it's difficult then. And you're sometimes not sure of what to say. Of course. And that's something we've talked a lot about on the podcast is we we can talk about grief and we can talk about our experience with losing someone we love. But the person themselves who are going through it, we don't. We don't really know deep down what it feels like to be in that position. No. And imagine it's quite, quite hard. Um, how long, how, what was the, because it's oftentimes it can, it can be a long journey or a short, short journey, but nevertheless, there's always kind of a lot to it. Yeah. How, it was, how did it go? It was a short journey. Um, 
So we found out it was cancer. He kind of didn't feel well on, well, maybe like June, July. And then we found out it, it was cancer in August. And we found out on the 1st of September that it had spread to a couple of places. So he did chemo and he responded well. And he had a good Christmas. And then then it stopped working and he was gone in April. So that's so short. Um, it's it's very it's there's a, such emotional moments in our lives such important mm. moments that you can I can see even the way you're explaining it you know every detail of when yeah. everything <laughs> changed and that's and, and like that the, chemo, the, the the part where the chemo doesn't work mm. um, because it did work initially and we were like okay great you know mm. this is awful but he's responding and yeah he's doing well and we, we had a lovely Christmas and it was great and I'm really glad that we did have that time um, and then even saying you know whatever seven or so months is short I know people get weeks yeah or less sometimes mm. um and as my dad said at one point like as weird as those like couple of months or weeks are towards the very end and you do get a chance to talk to each other there's nothing really left unsaid you have time together mm. and you tell each other you love each other and dad made the point a few days before he died of well, what if i walked out of the house and got hit by a car yeah. and you never said any of this to yeah. me so as difficult as it was some people don't get any time yeah. so and gratitude for those moments is huge yeah. um I know certainly with my dad, he he had a, a little bit longer, about nine months really, and then but my mom died within six weeks. Okay. And there is like when I look back on the experience with him, I there was a lot said. Yes. There was moments and there was a close, not a closure, but a a peacefulness about mm. the fact that we, we we spent all of our time past that we yes. could possibly spend together. And my mom was much shorter, so I I totally understand what you're saying. I think um, it's. Talking about those moments when you are saying goodbye and you're, you're, you know, it's sort of sacred space, isn't mm. it? It is. And it's, it's beautiful that you have kind of that privilege yeah. to do that. And we had several conversations. We were able to talk about, you know, that we loved each other and what the future might hold and various things like that. And I think he, he died at peace in mm. so much as you can. Yeah. So that's something we're very grateful for. Yeah. And that's something interesting that you're saying about as in so much as we can. Yes. I think that's actually. <laughs> you're not like, this is actually fine. <laughs> it's, and I think that's really great that you're saying that because it's not actually fine. No. <laughs> and as much as it maybe reassures the people who are still here on this earth to yeah. say, or especially people who have never experienced grief. They need to hear that it's like this peaceful, beautiful experience and everyone's completely at peace with mm. it. And like, <laughs> uh, it's not, that's not, it's not how it works. It's not how it works. Because leaving this earth, I imagine, is a very complicated and difficult process mm. for anyone. Yeah. And um, certainly looking at your family and, and saying goodbye to someone you love. So I'm glad you said that. Mm -hmm. It's not an easy thing to say either, to admit the realities yeah. of it. No, and I think anybody who has gone through that knows that even if it's, you know a death where you're in your own bed at home and you're surrounded by loved ones yeah. it's still it's still very difficult it's the nicest way you probably can go <laughs> yeah. but it's still not nice no it's not nice and even the process itself of being in the room with someone I found certainly myself that I was I was there with my dad I was quite scared mm -hmm. I know that sounds like a really immature thing to say but I was I no. was I'd never seen someone die especially someone I love so close to me and mm -hmm. I was very scared yeah because I didn't know what to expect and I imagine I'm not the only one in that, you know. In those early weeks after he was gone, grief is so different for everyone, but nonetheless so difficult. What was it like for you? Were you able to talk about it? We were, and I guess, 
you know, I was lucky that I was, you know, my mom and my sisters, I have three sisters, we were all around and we were together and obviously you're in shock and you're you're so hurt and you're so sad, but you also kind of have to kick into organising the funeral mm-hmm. and doing things like that. And my job as the writer was to write the eulogy, so I was suddenly kind of in that process and, you know, people helped me with it, but I kind of was suddenly like, oh God, I have to need to condense 60 years of life into <laughs> a few minutes of a speech that's, you know kind of funny but <laughs> not yeah. too funny but it's going to make people cry but not cry too much <laughs> so do him weird justice. isn't it yeah. like especially the funny bits yeah. right so like, like you is know it's inappropriate <laughs> that i say that thing and yet it's like it is it, it's like you're looking for that perfect kind of levity moment yeah. and that's kind of hard i mean as a writer at least you had a skill set <laughs> to maybe do this but at least still that. but yeah it's still you are very conscious then of again saying you know maybe saying the wrong thing or the right thing and yeah you know how other people will take it and I mean it was I'm really glad I got to do that and got to do that for him um but yeah it's a it's a tricky one when you're sitting there writing it and I I mean I thought I was fine and we kind of had my laptop out at the kitchen table and I was writing it and you know my mom and my sisters were helping and giving anecdotes and stuff like that and then I was kind of fine typing it up and then I remember my sister or somebody said okay do you want to practice reading because I was also going to deliver it and then as soon as I said like the first two words I was just like and I just like completely broke down and was like course. okay so yeah it's I'm gonna actually, need to practice this a lot but it's actually such a big it's a big big thing for someone to do yeah. uh, but I think what you said I mean imagine like the sense of pride mm-hmm. having your daughter do that for you yeah I hope he would be proud of that. A few people afterwards were saying that he would have been. And that was nice to hear it, to think that, yeah, I think he would think it went okay. Yeah, and I think just carrying, like, kind of carrying the story of his life in that yeah. very important moment that we don't get to experience ourselves, that mm-hmm. we'll never, exactly, you know, but yeah. you're, like, the, the idea, especially from a um, generational point of view, that, you, you know, it, it is a beautiful thing to be able to do. And exactly, not, a- yeah. not everyone has the um, ability to get through it because it's such a vulnerable place to mm. stand up there. Yeah. So, you know, as someone who's done them too, I know it's no easy <laughs> thing and it's kind of weird to look back on. Mm. And also you can read it again yourself, but yeah. you never see how you presented it. You never see. No. Yeah. yeah. So it is interesting to, to think of. And it's, yeah, you're kind of, it's like an outer body experience really where you're almost watching yourself <laughs> deliver it. But um, I mean, I think my family and his friends and people were happy with it. So I, yeah. um, that you can kind of take take a bit of comfort from that as well of yeah. like okay you you did him proud there you did him justice or whatever so that was kind of one of the last things you can do for him so it's nice to think that you were able to do that such an important thing and in those you know once as you mentioned like you're doing stuff in those initial days right yes. especially writing a eulogy is a yeah. huge um, responsibility and planning things and family around and then and then that's you know we've talked a lot about how you know especially in Ireland like people really show up mm, they're they do. there yeah but it disperses pretty quick yes and that's very hard yeah um, because you're kind of given almost this like a huge overdose of love yes and then all of a sudden <laughs> as the, and you've lost someone so as the weeks go on it can get quite lonely yeah I, I found particularly with the first few weeks and even months I guess there's such a surrealness to it that it doesn't feel like it's happened particularly in the first few weeks where you know the house is full of neighbors and family and friends who are being lovely and very yeah. thoughtful and bringing over food and checking how you are and doing all of those things that people do very kindly. But then life goes on and, you know, they have jobs and they have other things to do and they go back to their normal life and you're still, like, there. And I think the sense of loss, for me anyway, and I know grief is different for everybody, it was much deeper months or maybe even a couple of years afterwards because then all the the fuss is gone and 
you know people aren't really asking how you are anymore in relation to it not that you want them to ask every day or anything but when all of the yeah all of the 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 initial people being in the house and people asking how you are when all that ends then it's a while after the fact where you're like Mm -hmm. oh my god he's gone and then that sinks in when all the fuss has stopped when you're just left by yourself when you're ready to pop the question the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring at BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for a safe haven to express how you feel, share articles, photos, and memories of your loved ones, join the Grief Encounters Facebook group, a place for support, compassion, and empathy for those grieving. And I think what you said there, years, I think people are afraid to say years to someone else yeah. because they're afraid. First of all, they're afraid they're going to scare someone like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, <laughs> this <laughs> never gets better. <laughs> they don't want to scare people off. But also like it is years, right? It, yeah. it, 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 anyone who's been through it knows it's yeah. years. Because we're told that it gets better with time. And in some ways it does, but in some ways it gets worse. And that's that's fine. That's just life. Yeah. Grief doesn't. It's not like five years, 10 years, 20 years. OK, I'm fine now. Yeah. I don't think about that person. I don't miss that person. I don't have bad days. That never ends. And I think it's good to be aware of that and to know that that's normal. It's such a reassuring thing to say to someone. Don't be ashamed of your grief. I think a lot of times for me, I I felt very ashamed after my mom died because it was the second. um, Yeah. Like my dad had died, then my mom died. And I was so ashamed because I was so broken. Yeah. But I was so embarrassed that the world would think a year later I was just told like I hadn't gotten anywhere with mm. it. But actually what I was feeling was completely normal. Um, and so it was through conversations like this that make people feel that way. So it's great to say those things. Mm. And we hope that through conversations like this that people will feel a sense of um, comfort. But in a lot of ways, you know, you were talking about the kind of isolation. Grief it can can be a very isolating experience. It can be. And I think people often don't know what to say and that's fair and understandable and also just because you've been through a bereavement or if you you know you don't suddenly know what to say either because you don't know what that other person is going through but I think um one of the things that I've explored through writing and talking to different people speaking to Dr. Susan Delaney from the Irish Hospice Foundation and she was giving advice as like what to say to people who are grieving and one of the things she said is, you know, there's nothing wrong with the classic, you know, I'm sorry for your trouble or I'm sorry mm. for your loss. There's a reason people say that because they are sorry for what you're going through and they have literally nothing else to say to you yeah. and they're not going to make you feel better. So, uh, you know, there is comfort in literally somebody saying something like that um, or just saying, you know, I'm sorry, I hope I hope you're doing okay. Yeah. I'm here if you want to talk or I'm here if you want to sit in silence because out of fear of saying the wrong thing, sometimes people say nothing. Yeah. Or maybe they avoid you because they don't want to upset you or Mm. be awkward around you, which is valid as well. But I think, yeah, out of fear of saying the wrong thing, sometimes people say nothing. And then there's that sense of isolation. And you don't want to bring it up either because you don't want to be (laughs) (laughs) the girl who always talks about it. (laughs) And that's the thing. I think the thing you brought up there about awkwardness. So that's something I've been reading a lot about. It's like you got to learn to get over your awkwardness. Mm. Your awkwardness is not the thing here. (laughs) You know, so like about people learning to get past the awkwardness and kind of just like be there for for the people in their lives. It's not easy. And obviously, like I'm reading about grief because grief is 
relative to my life. But to someone who it isn't, mm. it's not of interest to them. So they're not learning about getting over the awkwardness because, no. you know, it's not something that, you know, is important to them. You mentioned losses and a few mm. losses. And, and really sadly, after you lost your dad, you actually lost some more people in your life, which I can't even imagine. Can you tell us a little bit about how it felt to kind of lose him? And then grief didn't just stop there. Yeah, so... um Dad died in April and my granny died the following December and my a friend and my grandfather died then um, a few months after that the following year. So it was this kind of familiar yeah. thing of, you know, somebody else you loved gone. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad was the first kind of person who I was very close to who yeah. I lost. So I was lucky in that sense that I got you know, whatever, over 20 years with him. Yeah. And that was the first big loss I had. But then in the 14 months or so after that, um, I lost, yeah, I lost um, three more people I was close to. Um, my grandparents were both good ages, both in their late 80s, you yeah. know, had lived long, full lives, but it's still very difficult when yeah, they go. of course it is. And then, yeah, my friend was, was quite young when he died. So it was a lot, I guess, at once. And then I think talking about the surreal period after a death, if then there's a few more deaths kind of in the space of just over a year, that surrealness can last maybe for another oh, year. Yeah. And then it's all of a sudden, oh, those, you know, those four people, people are, are gone. gone. So it's, yeah, it doesn't really sink in. How were you able to take care of, I mean, it sounds pretty, I don't even know if you were able to. So, and, and feel free to answer this however you need to. But like, how were you able to take care of yourself amidst something like um. that? <laughs> I don't know. It's all kind of a blur. I guess I'm lucky. I mean, I have a good family and we were all going through the same thing. So I think one thing that came out of particularly my dad's death was that I think we're all a lot closer. We were close anyway, but I feel like since that happened, we have become closer and we've been a really good support network for each other in that sense. Um, you know, we, we tell each other that we love each other regularly, which yeah. wasn't a typical Irish thing, family thing that we did normally. So stuff like that helped. We were kind of a unit for each other. And, you know, my friends were great. Um, so I think just having support around you and also trying to be distracted sometimes, I guess, not feeling... Sometimes you feel like, oh, I shouldn't go out or I shouldn't even yeah. go to the cinema and watch a comedy I shouldn't laugh this is terrible you know but you need to do what you need to do like some days you'll need to just sit at home and cry and some days you'll want to go for drinks or you'll want to go for a what you just need to kind of keep living and I know that not everybody might not have a support network around them so it's more difficult but I was lucky in the sense that I did have people around me that didn't mean it wasn't lonely sometimes or very difficult but I kind of had good good people around yeah. me so that helped a lot and humor <laughs> yeah there's almost like a unspoken sort of language amongst the bereaved that like mm. humor is like essential yes. right it's like the most important thing and especially between family members yeah. do you guys have that thing where <laughs> some of the stuff is just funny and, yeah. and sharing memories it's kind of like this beautiful moment when you start laughing mm. and you start thinking do you guys have that as a family or with your friends where you just kind of like that release yeah I think I think you need to to laugh at certain points you know particularly in the immediate aftermath you cry so much after a death that you know you'll find something really stupid and inane really funny and you'll just laugh for like five minutes yeah. and then if people see you're like what's wrong with you <laughs> you know like I think yeah I remember yeah. laughing at like dad's funeral at something really stupid yeah. I can't even remember what like a really probably not funny thing but I think it was such a relief after yeah. 
that that you know we saw something funny or something silly someone was wearing yeah. or something and then you know you kind of laugh for a few minutes and you're like oh god this is awful I'm laughing I at know. a funeral I can't do this but I think it's important to have that it's it's very natural human reaction to laugh um yeah. And to turn to humor as well when you when you feel like you can or, yeah. you know, it's it's good to have that release as well and not to afterwards feel bad that you just laughed. Yeah. And probably not to feel bad about a whole lot, right? Because, yeah. like, whatever you're doing, it's your way of handling something huge. And in mm. your case in particular, when you've got um, peop- losing that many people in such a short period of time, were you able to be, you know, people always say, well, I don't know if people always say this, but people have said this to me. But uh, in the weeks after, be kind to yourself. It actually only sort of makes sense to me now, probably what mm. they meant. Did you judge yourself? Do you feel like you were able to be kind to yourself? Um, I probably, probably a, a bit of both. I mm. guess sometimes I would say or think that I, I said or did the wrong thing, and be like, you know, that was stupid, or you, yeah. you're not behaving the right way. Um. And then other times, yeah, maybe you give yourself a free pass. You're like, well, I'm just going to stay yeah. in bed or I'm going to do this or do that. So I suppose that period is in so many ways such a blur that mm. I feel, like you said, I think it's only afterwards you can kind of understand more so what it means to be kind to yourself mm. when you're dealing with grief or bereavement. And even that can be like much further down the line that you need to be kind to yourself or kind of give yourself a pass of like, okay, you're having a bad day, but you know, you're not a bad person. When you're saying you were in your 20s when your dad died, mm. you know, that's a long, this is a hard thing. I have a hard time to deal with this, but that's a long time that you don't have your dad, that other people will have their dads. Yes. So even though that can be like a, a kind of work against what society tells us about like, well, this is your lot and mm. this is how you keep move on, whatever. It's still a long yeah. time that your dad won't be here and yeah. he was young. So I think when it comes to being kind to yourself, sometimes it's allowing that to be like a truth that, yeah, you know. That's very true. One of the hardest things I think for us was knowing that he would never be a grandfather, for example. Mm-hmm. So if he was still alive, would have two granddaughters now who I know he'd Aww. love and dote on. So that was a big thing of thinking he's only 60 and he could have hypothetically lived, you know, for yeah. 20 or 30 more years and had a lot more life to live and give. But that, yeah, that's a, a difficult thing. Probably the hardest thing is thinking that he will get to be a grandfather. Yeah. I think or anyone that's experienced that it's brutal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the birth and the, if it, you know, if the grandchildren look in any way, like the grand, like, like that person or they, they have a gesture, they do something and you yeah. think, oh, but mostly what you said there about the fact that he would dote and he would, and, you know, missing yeah. out on that experience. And you just love to see that or to be a part of that. So that's yeah. that's a tough thing. Of course it is. Um, when I had my daughter, my parents were both gone. I didn't talk to a lot of people about it because I almost felt like I couldn't. Like mm-hmm. It was that. Yeah. It was that, that upsetting to me. That, yeah. like, and there wasn't a whole lot of people that could relate. <laughs> you see people and they're out with their grandkids and they're yeah. doing stuff. So there wasn't a whole lot of people that I could talk to that I felt would go... Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I know. Um, and I guess in so many ways it's supposed to be a happy time, and it is. But then if you're people are like, why are you thinking of this thing? You know, focus on the new life. And you're like, I am, but I'm still able to. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it kind of hammers home the fact that other people aren't here to be a part of this. So that's that's a tough one. And you just brought up focus on the new life, right? And yeah. focus on, uh, remember the good times. There's a whole lot of those, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. That we've all probably heard. Um, and they are genuinely... I think that people don't, they don't, they mean well, Mm -hmm. but a lot of times what that means underneath it psychologically is like, can you please stop talking about this? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's a cue to sort of say like, I don't, 
feel comfortable with the sadness. Yeah. Do you yeah. think people like? Do you think there's ways that we can become more kind of comfortable with sadness and comfortable? Because this is like happens. It's a reality of yeah, our lives. It's not that it's you know only a rare few people yeah. go through this. Everybody does at some point. Um, I think that whole thing of yeah not knowing what to say or sometimes yeah sometimes people might want you to shut up or sometimes people <laughs> might think they're cheering you up by going but hey look at this good thing yeah um and they they genuinely mean well um and they're just trying to maybe just diffuse the situation and make you feel better so i think sometimes even just saying like i don't know what to say but mm. if you want to talk we can talk or if you want a distraction we can yeah. go for a walk we can talk about something else whatever yeah. so i think it's being okay with I think if someone gets sad or wants to talk about a loved one who's gone, just let them, you know. Even if you feel a little bit awkward, it's probably good for them to talk at that moment and you to just listen. And mm. even if all you can say is, I don't know what to say to you, mm. but, you know, yeah. talk. And if you need anything, let me know. Yeah, I think that's such great advice. You have written about your experience. Yes. Um, how, what was the response like for you? Did did people in your life kind of reach out to you and, and talk to you about the fact that you'd kind of put this out there in the world? Yeah, I was pretty nervous about doing that because I write a lot. I write for a living, but I had never written about anything really personal. And that's probably the most personal thing um, I could write about. So, I mean, I talked to my mom and my sisters about it beforehand um, and they were all okay with it. I mean, they trusted me, thankfully, mm. to to do a good job with it and, you know, to, to I don't know, say the right thing. Is that the, the wrong way yeah. to put it? But to to handle it sensitively. Yeah. Um, and the reaction was, was huge. I mean, from people who knew me and people who didn't getting in touch and contacting me saying they'd gone through something similar or they found you know great solace in the piece they could relate to it and you know it really struck a chord with people and that was cathartic as well to mm. know that you know I was really nervous about putting this out into the world but then a lot of people read it and a lot of people got comfort from it and this was part of a wider series we did um, a couple of years ago and then we weren't planning on doing this it was a series looking at death and grieving and we kind of ended the series, we had such a reaction that we ended the series with a long read, kind of incorporating all the various stories of grief and bereavement that people had sent to me oh. after that, saying, well, here's my story about my dad or my yeah. story about my mom or my my daughter or mm-hmm. son or whoever it was, my husband. So it was a really beautiful thing. And I think people like that maybe are sometimes encouraged to not speak about it or to be very private with grief and to not talk about it publicly. So there was such a huge reaction then of people, I want to tell my story Mm. too. I want to remember my loved one and and talk about what I went through. And then I think they found that very cathartic. So it was nice to be part of that whole process and then see that like it had helped me in a way and it had also helped a lot of strangers. (laughs) So it was was a lovely experience. I think that is like... I'm going to use the wrong word here. (laughs) But I genuinely think it's so cool. I think it's so cool, A, that you were brave enough to do it. But also, like, just think about, like, the fact that someone else was sitting somewhere that you've never met before mm-hmm. in a completely place you've never, never even been before. Yeah. And you were helping them piece together like something. Like, it was a while ago now. So the initial, like, I got a lot of contact mm-hmm. in the first few weeks and months. But even 
the odd time now I still get emails about it like a, a few months ago a woman from America had like stumbled across it online and emailed me and told me her story and how it had helped her and yeah. it's still nice to think that it's out there in the world and someone comes across it and finds a bit of solace in it or can relate to it and it helps them in some way it's a, it's a nice thought to think that it's still even a small way helping people yeah well we're definitely going to link to it so you guys can have a read um, thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.